Hey, New City family. Thank you for coming to listen to this week's message. This is AJ Farthing, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New City. Our mission is to see Jesus change lives and reach the world. We want you to be a part of that movement by helping you grow as a disciple and encouraging you to share with others. So be sure to share this with someone you know to help encourage them. If you happen to live in the Tampa area, come check out our church on Sunday mornings at 920 or 11 a.m. You can find the information and other resources on our website, newcitytpa.com. I pray this message encourages and challenges you in your faith, and you take this message and share it with those in your life. If you're here for the first time, we're so thankful that you have decided to worship with us today. Uh, we hope and pray that New City Church will be a place and a people where you'd find just ongoing refreshment and renewal in the Lord. Um, you know, before we jump into, uh, back into Luke chapter 5 today, I want to talk about uh, lunch. We're hosting at our, after our 11 a.m. service in two weeks on March 3rd, uh, and the entire church is invited. Um, everyone is invited, but here's the thing. Um, the, the purpose, uh, the entire purpose of the lunch is to have something of a, of a roundtable conversation about how to better leverage our life for the mission of God. And yes, I say that everyone is invited, but I also know that it's not for everyone. Uh, so here are a few examples of people that I think should be at this lunch. Okay, if, they, if you're in college, this lunch is for you. Uh, if you're a few years out of college, this lunch is also for you. So right out the gate, that's about half of our church. And then also, if you've had the thought, um, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? This lunch is for you. If you've ever considered being a missionary or uh, thought about church planting or going into ministry in any capacity, this lunch is for you. If you've ever had the thought, you know, maybe I should go on a short-term mission trip uh, or maybe I feel called just to care for missionaries, this lunch is for you. And full, full transparency here, uh, the purpose of this lunch is to fan a flame uh, into what God has called our church to do and to be, which is to send people all over the world, to send people across town and, and across the ocean. And yes, <clears throat> no questions asked, we are here to reach the greater Tampa Bay area for Jesus. Like, we want to see a work of God here in Tampa, but God has made it abundantly clear that we are to make disciples, multiply churches, and mobilize missionaries and do it on repeat until we die. Like, we exist to see Jesus change lives and to reach the world. And everything in this lunch is geared towards catalyzing our church to that end. I mean, y'all, having an open-ended lunch for, an, for our entire church it's a bit of a logistical nightmare. Like, it's a little bit silly. Uh, but if God has called us to be this type of church, these are the types of challenges that we are more than willing and happy to take on. And so if you call New City Church your home, I want you at this lunch. Because I am praying that Monday, March, or Sunday, March 3rd, that it would just be a catalytic moment in the life of our church. That we'll just see kingdom dividends uh, for decades to come. Like, we are a church that believes that God could do far more than we could ever ask or imagine, praying and believing in faith for a global movement of just gospel transformation uh, for years and years and years to come. And so what's, what's God going to do over the next 30 years? Uh, I have absolutely no idea, but uh, do we pray and do we believe in a really big God? Yes, absolutely. So that's coming up in two weeks. Uh, and again, I'm um, I'm excited for, about this lunch for a couple reasons, but the other re like another reason I'm excited about it is because we're having a guest speaker that week, 
Pastor Andrew Hopper, uh, the guy that planted Mercy Hill Church, the church that our church was planted out of, he'll be coming down here this, that week to preach at our church. Uh, we'll have a, a few key leaders on his leadership team to be a part of this lunch uh, with us. And, you know, God has just done incredible things through Pastor Andrew and Mercy Hill. And a lot of what God has done uh, at Mercy Hill, it has greatly shaped New City Church. And so, again, just uh, Sunday, March 3rd, uh, is a Sunday that you do not want to miss. But for today... We're going to jump back into a popular, uh, another popular story in Luke chapter 5 um, that I have found uh, just this week just to be remarkably move, re- moving and just refreshing. Um, today's story is a story that we want to see replicate, replicated and multiplied all over the world. Today's story is another great example for us of what it looks like to be fishers of men. You know, as we saw Jesus call his first disciples to be at the beginning of Luke chapter 5, as we've kind of been looking at uh, the ministry of Jesus uh, in our current series as we've kind of walked through Luke. And if you remember over the past couple weeks, we saw Jesus call Peter, James, and John to follow him and that he would make them fishers of men. And then last week, uh, we saw Jesus heal both a leper and a paralyzed man by, like, that was lowered through the roof. And now we're starting to see Jesus move from showing his power to now showing his purpose. And at the end of last week's text, we saw, saw Jesus kind of uh, show that he has the power and the authority to forgive sins, which is really, really good news for us. This is getting more into part of his purpose. And I know that talking about sin... It's not an overly popular topic, um, but it is a very real topic for every person on the planet. And to put it simply, sin is uh, missing the mark. Sin is anything we do that goes against God's design, and we all sin, every single one of us. I mean, sin includes things like lying and stealing and cheating and impure thoughts and impure actions, and uh, also includes things like uh, greed and lust and gluttony and also things like gossip and being mean and rude. And so, I mean, just think about it. If God is totally pure and holy, uh, sin is the exact opposite of that, which means the, the absolute worst part about sin is that our sin, it keeps us separated from God. Sin, uh, according to God's standard, like sin, it deems us dead before God. It's, it's absolutely horrible. And again, again, I get it. Sin's not a fun to- topic to talk about. It can come across as extremely negative. Well, because sin's not considered a good thing. No, it's all the bad things. But it is very real. But if we ignore sin and act like sin, it doesn't exist, if we've never talked and we never talk about it, it would kind of be like me having food all stuck in my beard uh, and it just smelling totally just terrible. And just acting like it's not there. Like, you know it's there, I know it's there, uh, but we just kind of, we're going to ignore this and go about our day. Um, But no, no, if I had a bunch of crumbs and ketchup and chicken grease in my beard, the loving thing for you to do would be to talk about it and tell me and hand me a wet paper towel and help me get cleaned up. And I I think we can also say just sin being normalized, kind of getting used to living with sin would be like, crumbs and ketchup in my beer just being the normal part of who I am saying it just uh, it's just this is just how I smell this is this is like how I go about my day and what often happens in the church unfortunately is that us church people know we don't have we may not have crumbs on our face it's more almost like we have chicken grease in our beard but we're acting like it's a nice beard oil I mean we may look nice and cleaned up to everyone around us but when you get close you smell like three-day-old fried chicken 
<laughs> but that chicken grease, it's not supposed to be there. Uh, we all need to get cleaned up. And what I love about our story today is that it shows us that Jesus isn't afraid of the mess. No, he embraces it. And he's eager to help us get cleaned up and to give us a brand new start. Which leads us to our main idea, new city. Uh, Jesus came for sinners. That's where we're going today. And I love this because it gets at the core of just a stuffy and false religion and it totally negates any fake Christianity that says sinners are not welcome. No, it, it throws out, out the window a moralistic religion that deceives us into thinking we need to put up a facade of holiness and perfection that doesn't actually exist. Church today, very simply, we just get to remember and celebrate uh, the simplicity and the beauty of the gospel. Today we celebrate and remember that we don't have to have it all together. No, we just follow the one who does. And when we follow Jesus, he changes us to be like him. And so I'm going to go ahead and we're going to read the entire passage. Uh, we're going to have, we're going to have, there's only six verses in our short story, but it is a story that packs a punch. Uh, and let's remember Jesus, he just finished healing uh, a leper and a paralytic in the, in the previous story. And then it says, starting in verse 27, look, follow along with me. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a, phys a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, Jesus came for sinners. You know, verse 32 uh, said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He, uh, he, Jesus came to call sinners back to him. He came to see the world, uh, he came to this world to see broken people come and sit at his table and be restored. And so we're, we're going to kind of walk back through this story a couple verses at a time, and I'm going to draw out five quick points that I want us to see in this text that all show us that Jesus came for sinners. So look back at the first half of verse 27. Look at, look at what it says. It says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And so I want to stop there and set up the scene because, again, in, in, the, fir like in the, fir the first people in Luke's gospel that Jesus told, him to, told to follow him were three fishermen. It was Peter, James, and John. And we don't know if they were with Jesus at this moment, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were with Jesus because Jesus told them to follow him, and that's what they did. And Jesus here, he goes up to this tax booth and talks to this tax collector named Levi. And what we know about tax collectors at the time were that they were not very liked or trusted. No, they were, these tax collectors, they were pretty much despised people. They were known for stealing and cheating and lying and extortion. And as we look at the other Gospels with, the same, with this exact same story, we'd know that this tax booth was likely in a fishing town where he was collecting taxes from fishermen, like fishermen like Peter, James, and John that were following Jesus. And just so we can kind of understand the complexities of all that's going on, like the corruption, uh, like the, the, the tax collectors at the time were very corrupt, corrupted. We have to remember this was uh, for the Roman government. And they didn't have any type of technology or any accountability for taxing. And so basically what they did, the Roman government would auction off to various people the ability to be the ones to collect taxes from different places. And the way that which they collected taxes was to give a flat tax rate for every town. 
based on what they thought that town should be taxed. And so these tax collectors who won the ability to collect taxes, they basically had to pay the taxes, and, but anything on top of that was fair game for them. And the Roman government, they didn't really care how they taxed them. They didn't care what they did. They just wanted their money. And of course, these, these tax collectors, they had some big bad dudes to help them and kind of enforce these taxes. And so these guys were known for extremely overtaxing, stealing, cheating people, doing whatever they wanted because they had the big Roman government on their side and they would kind of just turn the other cheek and, and not caring what they did. In fact, tax collectors could not be uh, witnesses in a court of law um, and they also were excommunicated from synagogues. To say, it, to say it nicely, they were not liked people. Um, no, they were hated people, which leads us to our first point. Number one, Jesus came for the hated. And I want you to imagine Jesus here in this fishing town, walking up to Levi, a very despised man with these fishermen following him. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if Levi had already stolen or overtaxed and uh, cheated these guys that were following Jesus. I mean, these fishermen, they likely wanted to stay away from Levi. I mean, can you just uh, imagine uh, what they would have thought in this moment if they were with him? Uh, just to kind of be a fly on the wall at the interaction. Um, them them kind of thinking, Jesus, what are you doing here? I don't know about this. I'm th- maybe thinking, I'm not a fan of what's going on here. But we also have to remom- remember in this moment, Jesus is not only trying to change Levi's life, but he's also discipling these fishermen that are watching this entire thing. He's teaching them how to be fishers of men, which includes the hated and the outcast and the marginalized and those who seem way too far off. And I don't know if there are people in your life that are mean or rude or maybe just a bully of some sort. But this story here today, that bully is Levi. That bad person that is mean to everyone is Levi. That person that is difficult to be around, that's Levi. And Jesus approached Levi with compassion and care. He saw past the mean. He saw past the thick outer shell. He saw an opportunity for a hurting and broken person to be transformed. But I want to be careful here because I also know that bad and abusive situations are real. And what I'm talking about here does not apply to those cases because Levi was not endangering Jesus. Levi was not manipulating Jesus. No, in fact, uh, in Jesus' ministry before he went to the cross, when those situations happened, when Jesus was endangered, he actually got away. And so we need to use wisdom and good judgment here, but we also need to understand that Jesus, he came for the hated and the bullies. He, he, He loves them and he has a heart of compassion for them. Because do you know what's fascinating about this tax collector named Levi? Much like Simon, Peter, who went from Simon to Peter, this guy Levi, he went from Levi to Matthew, and the name Matthew actually means gift of God. So this guy Levi, he was later named Matthew, he actually ended up writing one of the four Gospels called the Gospel of Matthew. And so this hated tax collector named Levi who likely stole from God's people and cheated and and practiced extortion, he went from stealing from God's people to being called Matthew, a gift of God, who wrote one of the four Gospels. New City, Jesus didn't come for all the nice people. He didn't come for the well-put-together people. No, he came for all people all over the world, even the most hated people of the world. And if God can turn Paul, the Apostle Paul, who killed Christians, 
to then be a leading catalyst for Christianity, and if God can turn Levi, the tax collector, and greedy extortionist into a gift of God to write the gospel of Matthew, we can know that God can turn that person that's really hard to love or to be around or to be nice to, we can believe that God can do a work in their life also. Again, I I don't know where you are today, but I know this. If you feel like you're unlovable, or if you feel like you're disliked or you've done too much bad or your sin is too great, if you feel like you're in a pit and you just don't know how to get out of it, or maybe you are just very aware of your sinfulness today, if that's you, I've got good news for you because Jesus, he came for you and he came for me. He came for each of us. And he says to you and me the same thing that he said to Levi at the tax booth. Look at the end of verse 27. He said to him, follow me. He didn't say clean yourself up first. He didn't say pay back every, everyone you cheated and then follow me. No, he simply saw him, pursue him, and said, follow me. Again, church, Jesus, he came for sinners. He came for the hated and the bullies of the world. He came for the broken and the needy. And he simply says to us, follow me. And when we wake up each day, it's as, 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 it, as if Jesus looks at us and says, just follow me. That's it. Follow me. Your, our call is, as Christians every day is to wake up and to submit our life to Jesus and to follow him. And who knows where or whom God may lead us. Uh, but I love what it says next in verse 28 about Levi. Look what it says in verse 28. And Levi, in leaving everything, he rose and followed him. I mean, can you imagine this? Just like the fishermen we saw a couple weeks ago who left their two full boats full of fish. This tax collector, he left everything. He left his booth, his livelihood, he left his old life, and he followed Jesus. He could have looked at Jesus and said, do you know who I am? He could have looked at Jesus and said, do you know what all I've done? He could have looked at him and said, no, like, like this tax booth that I've got, it's way too important. Or he could have been worried about the, the, the taxes that he had to pay to the Roman government. He could have had a lot of maybe fear from them coming to find him, looking for the money. And him leaving his tax booth was him leaving an opportunity for more money and for more wealth. But when he encountered Jesus, he saw something better than money. He saw something better than more opportunity for wealth. He saw the opportunity to be unconditionally loved by God, and so he left everything, and he followed Jesus. He left his old life. He left everything behind him and followed Jesus into a new life, which leads us to say, number two, nobody is too far gone to follow Jesus. Again, he he could have lived in shame. Levi, he could have just sat there, Maybe he could have overthought all the complexities of leaving everything to follow Jesus. But when he encountered Jesus and encountered the love of God in a real and personal way, it changed everything. And as I say all of that, what I also know is that y'all, this man, Levi, he knew who he was following. I mean, Levi, as a tax collector, he was a very well-informed man. He knew, of the, he knew all the talk of the town. He had to have known that Jesus had already healed people and Jesus had already casted out demons. In fact, I bet he saw some of it and witnessed much of it. I mean, Levi, he didn't question, we don't see him questioning Jesus' divinity. He didn't question that Jesus was God. No, he knew. Jesus knew that he, he was, uh, he knew that Jesus was something special. And so I think the more shocking thing to Levi had to have been that Jesus came to him. Like that Jesus came to the hated tax collector and called him to follow him. And this was totally counterculture because again, 
Levi was banned from synagogues. He was not a trusted man. And Jesus, he taught in the synagogues. And Jesus was a man that everybody was amazed by. And he, he, like they, and he came to him as a sinful, broken man. And, and he said, Jesus looked at him and said, I choose you. Follow me. Come and be with me. And, and from our text, we don't see any hesitation. No, what I personally think happened was that he was so overwhelmed by this display of grace and kindness, he was amazed that God in the flesh came to him, a hated man, and just said, follow me. He didn't think twice. No, he left everything and followed him. And church, when we encounter Jesus in a real and personal way, when God opens up our eyes to see the beauty and the greatness of Jesus, this is what happens. We realize that nothing else is worth live, giving our life to. We realize that following Jesus and surrendering everything to him is the best thing that we could ever do. When we encounter Jesus, like Jesus, he draws us in. He woos us to himself. And, you know, this is so good for us as, as people who follow Jesus. Because when we come to him day after day, he redirects our life to him, back to him. But it's also good for all those that we know and love. Because it reminds us that God can change a life in an instant, immediately. Church, I don't know who is in your life that maybe you think is too far gone, or maybe you're here today and you think your life is unredeemable, too messed up, or maybe you think your sin is too great. Our story today tells us the exact opposite of that. Our story tells us that Jesus came for sinners. He came for you and he came for me. And that it is never too late to surrender our entire life and follow Jesus. Nobody is ever too far gone to follow Jesus. No, Jesus redeems criminals, thieves, liars, murderers. He redeems people who are caught up in just webs of lies and deception. It doesn't matter where you are in life. Jesus looks at you and he extends an invitation to you to follow him. And when we do follow him, when we surrender our life, leave the old life and follow Jesus into new life, no questions asked, it is worth telling everyone and celebrating leading us to say, number three, following Jesus is worth celebrating. You know, when we turn away from our old life, when we turn away from chains and brokenness and the ways of our old life and walk into a new life, that is something to celebrate and to tell everyone about, which is one of the reasons why we make such a big deal about baptisms here at New City. Like when we baptize people like we're doing on Easter, we, we scream and we shout and we celebrate. It is a joyous occasion. It doesn't matter like if you start following Jesus today, or maybe you've been following Jesus for over 50 years, every day we can celebrate the joy and grace of following Jesus. But I want you to think with me for a second about what had to have gone through Levi's mind as he began to follow Jesus. Because as we'll see in just a second, he's excited, he throws a party, and he invites all of his friends to it. But I can't help but think that part of that excitement that comes with him uh, following Jesus is just a little bit of awe. Again, thinking, why did Jesus come to Levi, the tax collector, and say, follow me? Out of all people, he asked to follow him, why Levi? And the same answer for Levi is the exact same answer for you and me. Like, why Levi? Why you and me? And the answer is like absolutely nothing but pure grace. Now this is a story, this is a beautiful picture of God looking at someone who has absolutely no spiritual resume at all, who has done nothing to earn any of this, only by the grace of God did Levi receive an opportunity to follow Jesus. And Levi knew it. He knew this was a display of scandalous grace. 
And so when we say following Jesus is we're celebrating, one of the reasons we celebrate it today is because it is nothing but grace. Christian, today, if you are following Jesus, this is nothing but pure grace displayed in your life. Like a tax collector, a thief, a swindler, a hated man by most of society was looked at by the God of the universe and was said, was told to follow Jesus. And Jesus did not reprimand him. He did not shame him or say, what is wrong with you? No, he showed Levi pure and unearned, unmerited grace, the same grace that you and I have available to us today. And this grace led Levi to leave everything and follow Jesus. And I can't help but think how last week we, we saw Jesus heal a man and we saw him forgive him of his sins and I don't want to dismiss the power of that story I love those stories but to everyone watching I do think it's fair that that was a good and noble thing that that was something to celebrate seeing a, a paralyzed man healed get up walk out and also to be forgiven of his sins like that it kind of seems like one of those dove commercials that kind of just brings a tear to your eye a bit but for Levi the tax collector the hated man that seems a little different, this seems a little different. It almost seems unfair. Like, why Levi? And as we'll see, it's going to leave people scratching their heads, maybe thinking, how can that be? Why him? What did he do to earn that? I mean, people were coming from all over to bring people to Jesus to be healed. And here is this hated tax collector that Jesus, like a man who was good at drawing a crowd everywhere he went, uh, like people loved being around him. And Jesus looked at Levi and said, follow me. Church, that's grace. And that's something for this man to celebrate, which is exactly what he did. Look at verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. So Levi went back to his house, and he had a party. It says he had a great feast. Uh, he invited all of his friends and fellow tax collectors, and he threw Jesus a party. You know, one of the things I love about Luke's gospel is that you always see Jesus, like, going to eat. He's always on the way to a meal. Um, Levi was celebrating the grace that Jesus showed him. He was celebrating the kindness that Jesus displayed to him by allowing him to have a new start. And what I find interesting about this is that Levi didn't throw himself a party. No, Levi threw Jesus a party. Jesus was the one they were celebrating. They were celebrating that Jesus allowed him to follow him. Again, Levi encountered the grace of Jesus, and he wanted others to know about it. You see, this is what happens when we experience the grace of Jesus. When we encounter the goodness of Jesus, we want others to celebrate with us. We want others to know this same grace. We want others to encounter Jesus with us. And just think about this moment. When Jesus was kind of reclining at the table with all the tax collectors sitting around a meal, I can't help but think of the transforming effect that it had on those other guys, all those fishermen that were with him. I mean, these tax collectors that were very, they were very aware it was transforming the fishermen. It was also transforming the tax collectors. These tax collectors, they were very aware of the life they lived. They were very aware of how they were hated and they knew they were not liked. And here is Jesus, a man that everyone had been amazed by, sitting with these tax collectors, the hated people of society. I mean, this was God literally stepping into darkness and brokenness and sin. This was God coming to be with the broken people to offer redemption and new life. You know, Jesus eating with these tax collectors and sinners is a picture of what Jesus has done for you and for me. This is a picture of Jesus coming for the broken. 
Like this is Jesus showing his purpose. Jesus came into sin and brokenness and he offers us redemption and a new fresh start. He comes into brokenness and sin with gentleness and compassion and he offers us a new life in a new way, in a better way. And and I can't help but think as as we just kind of dream about seeing people from all over the world following Jesus, just through our collective church impact. In fact, y'all, it's already starting. It's it's happening. People who were with us a year ago, two years ago, they're seeing people begin to follow Jesus in different parts of the world. That's something to celebrate. But as we think about what Jesus is doing here, dining with tax collectors and sinners, eating a meal, sharing a meal with the hated people, the broken people of society, the lost people of the world, I can't help but think that this is what we today are called to do. When we send missionaries out into the world, this is what they're called to do. When we invite people into our home who are far from God, no, we're not asking them to sit with Jesus, but rather we're asking them to sit with the Jesus that is inside of us. For all of those who proclaim Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit, Jesus in the Spirit is inside of us. And wherever we go, whoever we're with, Jesus is inside of us, and we're taking Jesus to that place. And no, I I get it. We're not a perfect representation, but we are a little bit of a glimpse, a glimmer. And so let's ask, who are the people that are far from God that we're just sharing meals with? Who are the people that we're, uh, that we're spending intentional time with? Oh, it doesn't have to be dinner. It could be coffee. It could be an activity. Any way that we're able to talk with others. I know some of you know I, uh, I play golf. I'm not good at it, but I like to play. One of the things that golf has, has done for me um, has been to open up doors for building relationships to spend intentional time. Uh, extended some extended amounts of time with people who would never ever choose to spend time with a pastor in their free time um, Fridays are my day off and so I often schedule a tea time it's often by myself I get paired up with all sorts of people I mean I mean I meet people all the time and about three weeks ago I got paired up with a guy nice guy and on the first hole after talking for about 10 minutes and he said, hey, I'm always looking for people to play golf with. And so if he asked if we kind of exchange numbers and play together. I was like, sure, sounds great. We just met, but okay. Now, on the second hole, I asked him, like I often do, what do you do for work? And he proceeded to tell me that he works at a place that if I went to where he works, it would disqualify me as a pastor. And honestly, it caught me off guard a little bit. I was just like, okay, you know, like I don't, I don't, I don't want to judge. I don't like to judge too quickly, but I'm pretty sure this guy's not following Jesus just based off of his profession. Just a hunch. I don't know. Kind of similar to the tax collector in our story at the time. And this guy, he, he never did ask me what I do for work, uh, which is usually kind of a funny moment in our round uh, when they find out that I'm a pastor. <laughs> uh, it, sometimes it starts great conversations, but oftentimes they start kind of retracing everything they've said and done up until that point. It's kind of a funny thing for me. But I had about two hours to spend with this guy, get to know him. He talked some, had some spiritual conversations, and, we, uh, and now we plan to play again. And now I'm praying for this guy every single day that he would give his life to Jesus. And this guy, if he began following Jesus, it would be something to celebrate. But our story today, it's reminded me that nobody is too far gone and that it is good and right for us to spend time with people in all walks of life. It reminds us that we are very likely the closest representation of Jesus that many people may ever get. Now, I do want to say, as I say all of this, we need to understand we're not Jesus, and we do need to be wise about how we spend time with people. No questions asked. When Jesus was eating dinner with these tax collectors, he was influencing their life. They were not influencing his. 
again, we're not Jesus. We must be wise, but we, we, sh- like we, we need to be sure that we're the ones doing the influence and not the ones being influenced. But all that to say, when the broken of the world begin to follow Jesus like we see in this story, it's something to celebrate. And I also want to point out that, most, that, the, that some of the most effective people some of the most effective people in, in seeing people come to Christ and getting others to follow Jesus are brand new believers, like we see with this tax collector. I mean, he went and got all of his friends and found a way to get them around Jesus. I mean, he had a recognizable joy that he wanted others to have, which tells us, like, when a person begins to follow Jesus, we should ask them, who are the other people that you could share this with? I mean, it's one of the best opportunities for God to multiply a person's reach. And then I want you to notice... Verse 30, as the story kind of begins to take a turn, notice what the religious people of the day saw as they kind of encountered this. The scribes and the Pharisees, when they, when they encountered this interaction. Look what it says in verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You know, I, I find it uh, interesting here that it wasn't just Jesus, again, Jesus eating with them. It was also his disciples. I mean, like Peter, James, and John, again, his first followers, those fishermen were likely eating dinner and celebrating with them. I mean, these are, uh, these guys um, likely caused, like, they, they've, he, Levi has likely caused these guys a lot of trouble, and so talk about a transformation, but it, this is what Jesus does. He softens people's hearts towards people who God shows, uh, like, when God shows us grace, he gives us grace for others. But I want you to notice the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, were upset. They were mad that Jesus and his disciples were eating with them. It's almost like he, they were thinking, like, why are you associating with those people? What are you doing eating with those people? They thought they were, uh, the, the scribes and th- Pharisees thought they were righteous uh, and good and holy and set apart because of how they lived. The scribes and Pharisees thought, I'm righteous and holy because I obey the law. And they were thinking, those tax collectors, they do not obey the law. They're sinners. Therefore, you, Jesus, you shouldn't be with them. And this is, like a, this is a classic case of seeing the dangers of self-righteousness leading us to number four. Self-righteousness robs us from seeing God's goodness. What we must understand here, again, is that nothing we can do or don't do makes us holy before God. The scribes and Pharisees thought, if we obey the law, we've earned God's favor. But the problem was they could not do it perfectly because just one sin separates us from God. And in their self-righteousness, these scribes and Pharisees thought they had earned a level of holiness that they didn't actually have. And this idea of being good enough for God, of being a good person, of doing more good than bad, of being nice, polite, and well-mannered, that's not what makes us a Christian. This does not make us holy and righteous before God. No, the only thing that makes us holy and righteous is trusting in the shed blood of Jesus. Like there's nothing we can do to earn God's holiness or to earn God's favor. I mean, false religion says, do all of these things and then you will be close to God. But y'all, that could not be further from the truth. The Bible does not teach that. The gospel says the only way you can be close to God is through Jesus. We are holy and righteous by Jesus alone, by trusting that Jesus lived, he lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. And when, he, when we believe that, he takes our sin and he gives to us his holiness. We gain Jesus' reward. We gain Jesus' righteousness before the Lord. That's the gospel. That's our good news. And trusting in self-righteousness 
that we're made righteous and good and holy by our good works. Again, that's not what the Bible teaches. When we trust in self-righteousness like these scribes and Pharisees, trusting that it's up to us to get to God, we miss the goodness and the kindness and the grace of God. Like Jesus, he was doing something remarkable in front of them, displaying a radical grace to these tax collectors, and they totally missed this display of grace. They missed the beauty of the party and celebration, seeing that Jesus would bring transformation to a broken people. They totally missed when, what Jesus was doing in the work of God before them because they were so caught up in themselves. You know, for the, the scribes and Pharisees, just Jesus was displaying grace to Levi. Uh, it didn't seem right. No, it seemed unfair. Because they have, these scribes and Pharisees, they've lived their entire life trying to earn God's favor. And here is this guy, Levi, who's done absolutely nothing to earn God's favor, and yet Jesus showed him favor. Jesus displayed grace to him. Y'all, that is radical grace that is displayed to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And today, if you are in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, if you have said, I now trust in Christ, there is a radical grace that is shown to us that we can't miss. We've been shown favor. If we are following Jesus, we have favor with God. But if we're so caught up in what we're doing for God or trying to earn God's favor, we can so easily miss what God is doing right before us. We can so easily miss what God is doing because of our own self-righteousness. I mean, just think about my new friend I met on the golf course. What if I, th- what if I thought, you know, I, su- I shouldn't associate with this guy. And no, I should not go to his place of employment. But if God is working on his heart and pursuing him, and if God could use me to show him Jesus, why would I not do that? Like, what if God saves this guy and transforms him to be a gospel force in the greater Tampa Bay area? I mean, just think. What if the next Apostle Paul or the next missionary, or the next gospel force, maybe influencing thousands and thousands of people. What if today, in this moment, right now, that person, as we speak, is just passed out from partying way too much last night? What if the next evangelist that God decides to use in crazy ways on USF's campus, or around UT, or around just in, on the college campuses right now, is just wrapped up in a terrible situation that they don't know how to get out of? Or what if the next realm of prayer warriors for New City Church are caught up in prostitution or some sort of terrible drug addiction? What if our next city, what if our city group leaders five years from now at this moment, what if they're just on the brink of divorce? I mean, what a shame it would be if our own self-righteousness kept us from seeing God doing a remarkable work of transformation right in front of our eyes. And I'm not saying all this to put any person on a pedestal based on how God uses them, but rather to show the transforming power of God. You see, I have no doubt that God wants to radically transform people to go from hated tax collectors to being incredible gifts of God that are doing the work of the Lord. But what if it takes us stepping out in faith and pursuing those people that seem way too far gone? Because church, this is the way of Jesus. Because look how Jesus ends our story after the Pharisees grumbled. Look at verse 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. New City, there's not a person on this planet that doesn't need Jesus, our great physician. Because every single one of us have sin in our life. And whether we admit it or not, every person on this planet is in need of forgiveness. Every person has the disease of sin that makes us sick before the Lord. If we have a heartbeat, we need to turn to God. That's Repent, that's what repentance is. 
We turn away from sin and we turn towards God. We turn away from the old life and we walk with Jesus into the new life. There is, this is an everyday, daily thing. We all need this, which is why I'm so thankful for the beauty of the gospel because saying that number five, y'all, the gospel never gets old. Never. Every day in the gospel, there is newness. Every day, because of Jesus, today we are deemed free uh, and new. And maybe you walked in here, maybe just overwhelmed by your sin, very aware, maybe of your sin and brokenness, or maybe you walked in here just kind of indifferent in uh, your sin. Maybe it really wasn't on your mind. Or maybe you came in here and you know that you've never given your life to Jesus and you know that you've never, under, maybe you've never understood the gospel. And maybe today you begin following Jesus. And whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or 50 seconds, church, the gospel, it never gets old. Because in the gospel, today, through the cross of Jesus, we are deemed forgiven. Like everything we've ever done, everything we've ever committed, when we place our faith in Jesus, it is nailed to the cross and it is gone forever. Your forgiveness, it is an incredible gift. Then also, because of the gospel, we can turn away from our old life and we can walk with Jesus and follow Jesus again into the new life. Oh, because of Jesus, we're not just forgiven, but we are also walking in power. We're connected with God who holds everything in his hands. I mean, this, this morning, maybe this morning, maybe you got in a fight on the way to church. Guess what? Today in the gospel, there is grace and forgiveness that we can receive that we can then show to others which means we can walk out of here and pursue reconciliation and forgiveness. When we encounter Jesus in his grace, we can then show that same grace to others. I mean, just the fact that Jesus' disciples were at the banquet with all of these hated tax collectors, that alone is a display of grace and transformation. We can take the gospel and apply it in so many different ways and just see how incredibly sweet the gospel is. Y'all, the gospel, it never gets old. But from our story, I can't help but think of the hope that Jesus can bring for us with that person that just seems way too far gone. Because what we know is that nobody is too far from the hand of God. Nobody can outrun the, the, the grace of God. And it, it reminds us that God can redeem and restore any life. Any life can be used as a gift from God. And as we end our time today, I couldn't help but think of how Levi, again, Levi, he was hosting a banquet for Jesus. Jesus displayed grace to Levi, and in return, Levi held him a party. And I couldn't help but think that one day there will be in heaven, uh, when Jesus is host, there will be a day when Jesus is hosting a banquet for us. It's for all those people for all, all over the world who have given their life to Jesus for all of time. They will be at this banquet. And I have, you know, I have a long list of people in my life that I'm praying will be sitting at this banquet with me, partying with Jesus alongside of me. But the only way that they're at the banquet is if they surrender their life to Jesus and follow him. And so let me just ask in by asking the question, who do you want at this banquet with you? Will you pray for them? Will you, will you share your life with them? Maybe share a meal with them and, and just, just help bring them to Jesus. Then I also need to ask the question, will you be at the banquet? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you left the old life and followed Jesus into the new life? New city, the only way we will be at the banquet in heaven is if we are with Jesus. And so will you be there? 
You know, I'm so thankful today for this incredible truth that Jesus, he came for sinners because it has made it possible for you and for me to have hope for us so that we can be at this banquet. You know, we have so much to celebrate today. Let's, let's, let's pray. God, you're so good. God, I don't know if there's anybody in this room that has never handed over their life to Jesus. God, I pray that there, if there's someone right now, God, I, I pray that you would open up their eyes to see. God, right now as we speak, they would say, God, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to walk away from the old life, and I want to walk with Jesus into a new life. God, there's a party waiting to celebrate. God, I pray that we would celebrate the goodness and the grace of Jesus today. I'm so thankful for how you love us. We ask for in Jesus' name, amen.